to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode 13 of season two, Conversation with Chris Hampton. And before we get into the intro about Chris, just wanted to let you all know that we're doing a zine event here in Durango, and it's going to be celebrating 10 years and 20 issues of the Climbing Zine. It's going to be Thursday, September 16th, starting at 6 o'clock over at the Rochester Hotel's Secret Garden. It's an outdoor venue, and it's also sponsored by Pine Needle Dry Goods and Maria's Bookshop. So if you're in Durango this Thursday, we hope to see all of you all there. And now Chris Hampton. A lot of you all probably know Chris from the power company Climbing. Um, They have an awesome podcast, and they're also a training resource and company for climbers. And Chris has, you know, personally seen a lot of gains. Um, I was just looking online that he just climbed his first 514 in his 40s, which as someone who's in my 40s myself is insanely inspiring. Um, We don't talk really about climbing, training, or anything during this um, because there's just so much intersectionality between me and Chris with um, having an entrepreneurial spirit with, you know, being a hip hop nerd that we both are. And I think just appreciating um, growth through climbing and really like the the way that we talk about this in the interview is that climbing allows us to not be crusty and and having our own businesses in the climbing world allows us to really be connected and feel like we're a part of climbing instead of something that's passed us by in our glory days. But I hope you all really enjoy this conversation it was really fun to have, and it was the first person I really interviewed that I wasn't good friends with, so I was a little intimidated by this one, but Chris made it easy, and um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this one, and as always, you can find a link in your show notes to support the zine, and be sure to go check out Chris and check out his podcast and all of his other materials that he's putting out. All right, enjoy. Hey everyone, Tommy Caldwell here. You know, everyone, at least in the climbing world these days, is trying to figure out ways to live more intentionally, to live a less impactful life. And one of the best things we as climbers can do to make that happen is to support and buy things from the companies that are doing the same thing, the companies that are figuring out ways to lower their carbon footprint, lower their chemical usage, make their products out of recycled materials, make products that just don't wear out. And you know, the only company that's doing that well in the ropes and hardware space is Edelrid. They've been innovating the best products for over 100 years. They invented the sit harness. These days they make unquestionably the most high quality ropes, the lightest weight carabiners. And really they're just awesome all around. So check them out at www.climbgreen.com. Hey, this is Chad Rich. I'm the editor and producer of this podcast. We can't bring you this audio art without your support and support from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Scarpa. Scarpa's approach to climbing shoe design mirrors their approach to the pursuit of climbing itself. They strive to evolve and incorporate new ideas and techniques every step of the way. They refine their strengths, train their weaknesses, and build on each success. Scarpa has been bolstering its climbing shoe foundations by continuing to create versatile, high-quality designs that satisfy the needs of climbers across a range of disciplines and skill levels. For more information, visit scarpa.com. Now let's get into the episode. Let's start with how we met each other. Because it was a long and winding road to actually meeting people, I feel like, in this industry. There's definitely people you know about. Especially in the internet age, right? Like, you hear people's names, you see their work before you actually meet them. We were like rock and ice letter to the editor kind of shit. Yeah, exactly. Because you were a climbing rapper. Yep. Still are. Yep. O-dub. More more rapper, less climbing rapper. Yeah, yeah. Less (laughs) rapping about climbing, I guess. No one's ever successfully pulled that off. (laughs) Um, But... uh, you there's something I wrote into Rock and Ice. I was like, we got a B boy crew, and we didn't. We were like, totally had no moves. Later, I did like take some break dancing. <laughs> I, I lived with a couple break dancers, and, yeah. And so, so I have like my wedding party, or you know, the circle at the yeah. dance party. I can do like my four break dancing moves. But I was like, yo, well, we don't rap, but we'll challenge you to a battle. 
and we sent that. I sent that into Rocket Ice in probably 2004. I don't know yep. if you ever saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. I remember yeah. it. Um, and then uh, t- a bunch of time goes by, and I heard you. I think I heard your name up here in Lander once I started coming up here like seven or eight years ago. And mm-hmm. I thought you were a, there was a, two climbers named Chris Hampton because. I thought I knew you as this climber rapper, and then I saw your name actually on art up here when when I yeah. first like yeah yeah um, heard about you again. It was with art. Yep. And then I realized um, you were the same person, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we yeah. still had never met. There like, is another Chris Hampton. He's Australian no climber, kidding. photographer. Well, yeah. And does he spell it the same way, or he spells it with a ch? Spells with a ch. Yeah. Um, and so I slowly collected in my mind. Then I heard you on the Norma cast. My perception of who you were was different than the you I'm like getting to yeah. know. And yeah. I think it was like related to maybe there's like some, like you did a rap about Dean Potter or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> like oh, I just yeah. kind of thought you were just different than I than who you actually are. But that's what rap is. That's the spirit of rap that right. you maybe were bringing into climbing in a way. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I think we all wear a lot of different hats like we all have different sides of our personality and one of the most important things about art in all its forms for me be it music visual art you know written word whatever I can express different aspects of my personality through that art and you're not going to get a complete picture of a person unless you see it all combined you know totally Um, so it's very easy for people to get an idea of who I am based on one thing that they've seen. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. It is part of my personality. So yeah. I'm okay yeah. With it. And I felt like I got to know you a little bit through the Enormacast interview. Um, and then we just kind of started peripherally working together and I'd see you more here at the climbers festival. We never, I don't think actually truly met face to face cause we we're kind of internet friends. Yep. And then there was a fire drill at a gym yeah, totally. in, in Denver. In Denver. And I just right. looked over and I was like, you're Chris Hampton. <laughs> and we finally met. Yeah. And so I, I feel like I've had the pleasure with, yeah, just connecting with you a little bit. And we're doing a creativity and climbing workshop here mm-hmm. in a little bit here at the Climbers Festival. Um, but I really, you know, I'm trying to connect every interview to this season of the podcast based around my, around my book, The Desert. Yeah. And you really connect in a lot of ways, like the hip hop, the creativity, and, but especially being an independent artist yeah. and an b- independent business. And I feel like, you know, we're in our 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be 47 this year. He'll be 47. I'll be 43 this year. And we are kind of, in some ways, for lack of a better term, like OGs in, yeah. in, the, in the culture it's of funny, climbing. It's funny you say that because yesterday when I was putting this hat on, I asked my wife, should I tuck my ears in OG style or should I leave them out <laughs> little kid style? Yeah. And she was like, I don't know. You do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like because we are OGs, uh, and I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like a, um, I want to impart what whatever I can yeah. for, for free to the next generation Absolutely. and just really give. And I and I guess that's why you're making time with me right now and, and we're making time for that workshop because we're not getting paid for any of right. this. And right. I think it's a beautiful thing about the Climbers Festival is it costs us money <laughs> to be here. You know, like yeah. I, you know, this is not, in, in some ways it's a branding thing, but I just like the exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and I really get inspired by the Lander climbing community. But I want to go back just to the very beginning of... Let's do it. Um, you know, because obviously the younger generation can learn from us in some ways, but then some stuff is just foreign. But, yeah, totally. Um, you know, and I'm sure like tapes, like I was talking to a younger... I'm also a big Grateful Dead fan. I was yeah. talking to this 28-year-old about uh, the Grateful Dead, and he didn't collect tapes. Mm. And I was like, that's the difference. That's the difference between a 42-year-old deadhead and... And I didn't even never saw the Grateful Dead. You know, right. I'm still like young in in that sense but where does this all begin for you of having you know you you work you're you're the you're the boss you know mm-hmm. you uh you work for yourself and i know a lot of people want to get to that but where where does your like 10,000 hour journey cuz i'm sure you got maybe 10,000 hours twice at this point with how many different interests you have but where does this whole journey to becoming like an independent businessman artist begin actually it's that that's an interesting question because i think all of the things I do, even though they can look really different from the outside looking in, they're all rooted in the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's music, writing, art, 
training people, the podcast, whatever, is all rooted in in sharing my ideas, sharing the things that are important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just fucking love to make things and give them to people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of my biggest passions. And I think that's, that's kind of where it starts. You know, when I was, I released my first hip hop tape in 1991. As Odeb? Uh, no, uh, that name, name was given to me much later. Okay. Um, after I became a climber. Uh-huh. Um, at the time it was, this was back in the days of horrible names. Uh, it was crazy K <laughs> K R A Z double E K. And I don't think anyone knows that, but you and all the people all right. listening now. Well, if anyone knows about hip hop, every <laughs> hip hop artist had another name. Like yeah. Biggie, Biggie Smalls was, uh, um, Fuck, I can't remember now. But yeah, every rapper had a bad yeah. name before they got to their current one. Yeah, so, Hor- all right. horrible Cra- names crazy K. out there. <laughs> and, uh, and I put this tape out in high school and started hearing people playing it in high school. Even people that didn't like me, like that we were like enemies, <laughs> they would be playing my tape. Wow. And I'd be like, oh, where'd you get that tape? You know? Um, and I just loved the aspect of being a little bit anonymous behind mm. the work like yeah letting the work do what it was going to do on its own uh-huh. um and then it you know then people receive it how they want to mm-hmm. and and i love that part of it i can make it for a reason and then people receive it maybe with an entirely different thing in mind mm-hmm. you know they may hate it they may love it it may resonate with them on some huge level I, I have no idea, but I love that it's doing that, that it's out there taking on a life of its own. So so how do you go from uh, Crazy K coming out with your mixtape um, to, I guess, you know, like starting, like when, when did you start working for yourself and like how did you get to that place? Well, my, my very first like entrepreneurial venture, I actually found a cardboard sign uh, after my grandfather died and I was going through his stuff, I found a cardboard sign he had kept that I had stenciled Hampton Detective Agency on. <laughs> and, like, no case too small, 25 cents, <laughs> you know. So so I've kind of been doing it forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I'm sure you ha- – did you have a 9-to-5 at some point? Like I had a 9-to-5. I was yeah. a mural artist. Okay. I, I yeah. painted murals. I, I, I originally owned my own company, and then I sold it to someone else. Gotcha. Because I didn't like the business side of it. Yeah. I just wanted to paint. Uh-huh. Um, so I ended up running a different mural company that absorbed mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I funded my rapping at the time. It's mm-hmm. how I funded the beginning of Power Company. And that's um, like – that's definitely a recommended path, I feel. Like, there's, yeah. you know, to have that side hustle, I guess, yep. is what the term is now. Yeah, and if you're really passionate about it, you'll make yeah, time for it. Totally, dude. You know? Totally. And, it, and it's a good way to weed out yeah. the things you're not really passionate about. Because yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're not, you won't make time for it. Yeah, yeah. So. Especially when you're young, you have more time than ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, your, your 20s, you have basically have more time than you'll exactly. ever have in your and life. I was, I was really lucky to come up in Cincinnati at a time when the underground hip-hop scene was really centralized in Cincinnati. We had Scribble Jam, uh-huh. uh, this big festival every year for underground hip-hop, graffiti writers, breakdancers, DJs, and all the names you know would would come to Cincinnati and perform. And I would open up for a lot of these artists, and cool. I, would, I would get to see the way these underground labels moved. You know, So I got to see the like a little bit of behind the scenes and talk to people in Def Jux and in Rhyme Sayers and mm-hmm. uh, the Living Legends crew and mm-hmm. see how these crews moved. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've shaped my entire business model based on that, based on how an underground hip-hop label moves, grows their audience, puts product out. You know, the the podcasts on my mixtape, mm-hmm. um, it, it just goes out for free and brings people in, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'm creating merch constantly, new things, 
that was something big that releases uh, now and then not not to cut you off but uh that was something someone told me early on of give stuff away for free and i thought it was like the most bullshit advice and some people like, still do some people are like never give anything away for free and i'm like dude. wow that's that's been my biggest advertisement yeah. and i don't pay for it yeah free wins too yeah like that's I'm I'm a big believer. Like that guy told me that it was actually Tom Shadak, the guy who directed like Ace Ventura. And oh, stuff. nice! I think he's connected to Memphis Rock somehow as yep, well. Yeah, I think so. He's he, but he's a good guy. But I was like, you're full of shit. You're a millionaire. Like you're telling me to give me my books away for free when I don't have anything. And then right. I took him. I like I did it, and now I just like I'll probably give you know I gave five hundred or six hundred zines away at this festival. And right, it's it's kind of the, the best thing. But yeah, I just wanted to highlight that for for anyone like yeah. You know, because you, I think a lot of people, young people, start and they wonder like, where do they go and how mm-hmm. do how do they really like really start something? And I think it's like being at things like this and giving things away for free. And so you've obviously had that like you got that from the hip hop culture. Yeah, and I think yeah. you have to, you know, value your worth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to separate that from the things that you can give away for free. Yeah, you know those That's labels. A good point. Yeah. Those labels will make mixtapes they'll do yeah. little community shows for free but if mm-hmm. somebody wants to book them at a festival they're going to charge them yeah for exactly it, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah 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 so yeah. you have to determine what your worth is yeah and determine how you can still live and exist but what things can i still give away for free you know? and that's a great point because in the outdoor industry there's definitely um your time should be valued and there's there's a lot of murky areas of of getting free product or right, getting right. exposure totally um so yeah you should always have your price um but I, and i think that's the zine operates in the same way it's yeah. like you know um people we, well, we we both rely on people to like use our products and, right and, and talk that's about like it super key spread it around to their friends you know yeah yeah absolutely absolutely hand-to-hand advertisement you know yeah. mouth-to-mouth face-to-face that's that's the best Totally. Well, now we're on the topic of hip hop. Um, you know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Devin Dabney. Yeah. Who's another person I've never met him in person, but mm. we've worked together so he much. He was just here like a couple I of weeks him. ago. Oh man. Um, but he wrote this article that you did some art for in the most recent zine called um, "Get Sends or Die Trying," which yeah. is a great name. I thought. Great um, article. And it was it was a brilliant article. It was almost an article that I would have been pissed if I didn't publish it because right. cause originally it was going to get published in another publication yeah. and for various reasons they didn't do it, but it was so brilliant. Um, so yeah. I just want to talk to you about where you see the intersection of, of hip hop and climbing and, and what Devin's article might've opened up. Cause it opened up for, for me things I'd never thought about. And for anyone that hasn't read the article, it just compares the archetype of the gangster in hip hop and the dirtbag and yeah. climber and brings out an, an intersectionality obvious differences you know mm-hmm. um but, i think uh, it's really interesting because you know as a as a white person in hip-hop from the time i was you know 10 11 years old um starting break dancing and then eventually rapping starting rapping when i was 14 or 15 mm-hmm. um i only recently started being concerned about am I appropriating, Mm. like having that conversation with myself. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because that was never a conversation amongst my black friends, Mm. amongst the hip-hop community. Never a conversation, Mm -hmm. not one time, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Do you think it was the times? I think it was largely just because we were all there for the love of it and we yeah, all knew yeah, that we yeah. were all interacting with it regularly it wasn't wasn't a thing i found changed my wardrobe overnight decided i was going to be a rapper yeah and started rapping it was this thing that i gradually moved into i knew all these people from the skating rinks or mm-hmm. from the hip-hop shows you know when i was old enough to get into the clubs mm-hmm. and so we all grew up together um but it's definitely something I've thought a lot more about. And I love that Devin connected the climbing world with the hip hop world in the way that he did. Just drawing these parallels between the the gangster archetype and the dirtbag archetype and and how we've sensationalized them both 
and maybe maybe misrepresented both, you know, in doing so. Yeah. Um super interesting to me. Yeah. I love the way his brain thinks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I thought the most interesting thing was the they're both coloring in the lines of rebellion within society. Right. Um and I think that's um I, I've realized that like white privilege is a, was a big part of my dirtbag experience, you know, just like doing Absolutely. the board, like, you know, John's, my hip hop experience. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, John Stewart, um, made this quote that is like, if I was black, I would, I would be in jail for just the stupid shit I did. Mm-hmm. And like a, a long sentence in jail, if he was black, just for the things that white males totally tend to get away with, with yeah. law enforcement. Um, I've gotten away with so much in my life. I mean, and it's interesting because I have, I have three felonies on my record. Jesus. I've from graffiti stuff or, or you don't have to no, from, yeah. from stealing cars. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Nice. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a short story. I was super into <laughs> boosting cars wow. when I was 18 years old. Wow. Wow, epic. Um, so I was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. I only did 6 months. Jeez. And then got out. Damn, dude. And and if I were to be that same 20-year-old kid, I would say what do you mean privilege? You know, I don't yeah. have privilege. Yeah. I just got out of prison right. and you know, I grew up in a poor, poor community and, but that's not what it's about. So many people miss that. I had the fact that I got out after six months is because I was, you know, seen as a middle-class white kid. Mm-hmm. If I had been a black kid, it would have been an entirely different story. Mm-hmm. And and I got away with so many things that I did and didn't get punished for, or my record would be 10 times as long. Mm-hmm. Privilege goes deeper than just the, you know, I had or didn't have. Mm-hmm. It's what the system allowed me and didn't allow me. Yeah, and I, I think a big thing of Devin's article, too, was it, it's, it's a lot of it's male privilege, too. Like Absolutely. The, I checked the, all the boxes. <laughs> you checked the boxes, you know? Yeah, it, but then you have, like, a... A 50 cent or a jay-z um especially like a 50 cent you know he's he's very much in jay-z's embraced the capitalism too but i think we all see jay-z as the high priest of of the hip-hop world and he does a lot of like number he's like you know i can't help the poor if i'm one of them type right. of just like right you know jay-z is is the icon um but yeah 50 cent is kind of like brazenly just embracing capitalism and is like i'm gonna fucking vote for trump because my taxes are gonna be lower right, you know right but 50 cent is the gangster outlaw and that's the get censor day die trying was mm-hmm. after 50 cents yeah um super get rich or die trying or get rich or die trying famous uh way he uh exploded on to the hip-hop scene yeah um how long does your climbing rapping like how long were you a climber rapper and how did that all like transpire? Man, I'm horrible at dates, so yeah. I have I have really no clue. Um it started because I was I was in a studio, mm-hmm. um and I th- I'm pretty sure I was the only white person using this studio. Mm-hmm. Um my friend Gino Vega ran the studio. I was doing some things with his label, Power Blast, and I was in there recording and decided I wanted to loosen up and just play around. Mm-hmm. And I had written these lyrics about offwits. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was super into climbing offwits, written these lyrics that I thought were hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's going to have no idea what I'm talking about, you mm-hmm. know? But let me loosen up. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you know, put the the super thug beat on. Uh-huh. Um, he puts that on. I do this song, just playing around, and then I come out of the booth, and there are all these like super thugged out guys <laughs> waiting for their session. Uh-huh. And they they had all been in in the room listening, and the the booth was in an old bank vault. So there was no glass. I couldn't see who's in there. So I'm just wiling out, uh-huh. you know, doing what I'm doing. I come out, and these guys are like, what What the fuck is off with, you mm-hmm. know? And within 30 minutes, they had all started using, and did for the next several months, using the word off with instead of off the chain or off the hook. <laughs> oh, I know? love that. 
And then that morphed into them calling me off with and giving me the name O-Dub. Um, and I put that out on the internet and it exploded uh-huh. and I made a bunch more, uh-huh. you know. What was your, you got a 99 problems, but. 99 problems, <laughs> but this pitch ain't one. Yeah, I think that was one of the first O-Dub things I ever saw. Yeah, I was doing a yeah. lot of like parodies of of other existing songs. And then I got a little bored with that uh-huh. and moved into all original stuff. That's where the Dean Potter song happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I, I did a few albums, three or four climbing albums. Uh-huh. I, I don't remember how many. Yeah. And then I basically retired it until Devin was doing it. Yeah. And then I collaborated with Devin on a couple of songs because I had seen him mention me in places on the internet. Uh-huh. And I had talked to him once or twice in person at like a shoe demo and a comp. Uh-huh. And and I just loved what he was doing, and he's so much better at it than I ever was. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like this honor to collaborate with him. Mm-hmm. So I feel the same way. I mean, he contributed all the music to this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's in that phase, too. I mean, it would it would be awesome if his, he was here right now because we're in this phase of we're in our 40s and, and we've got our kind of careers developed and he's like got <clears> so much going on he's in and, and i was that was at that stage when i was 30 of because i think we there's a lot of stereotypes of you know you get out of college and then you get your job or whatever but i think your artistic and professional paths you can have these moments of even when you're in your 30s or 40s that you're like i have to make some really big decisions now and it's terrifying yeah but i think if, if we all in our in this climbing community like my vision for the climbing community is just to have people you can rely on like we've we've made Mm -hmm. it to this point now where someone in the younger generation can look to our generation and and have some sort of blueprint that like this is actually a path to be like an independent because when you think about it i mean there's a lot of up and coming things but there aren't that many long-term super independent kind of you're not exactly a a one person um a one-man show but you're you're definitely a small independent business for sure. Um, and we're, we're talking about this before things started. So this would be, this would be perfect to, to kind of, um, go into that. But what, what, uh, what is your vision of like, is being independent a way to enrich your life that you don't have a boss that you have to report to? Is it just something that naturally happened or is like, is being independent and keeping your own tempo with your own business and not just going for the maximum profit is that, is that something that naturally happened beginning mm-hmm. with, you know, having your mural business and the mixtapes, or is it, did you have to make that decision at some point? Like, I really want to be independent. You know, honestly, my life would be so much simpler if I just had a boss to tell me what to do and I had a normal schedule, I would be climbing harder. My life would be easier but it wouldn't be fulfilling for me at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. And that's what it all comes down to. Yep. Like I said in the very beginning of this thing, I really love making things and giving it to people. I love the act of mentorship. And for me, the podcast, the training plans, you know, I put out so much free content and have for a decade plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that as a form of mentorship Mm -hmm. you know um i love it Uh, you know i only have so much capacity to connect with people on a one-on-one basis like devin and i do you know we talk a lot about these things and Mm -hmm. he's always looking to me for advice and and i love being able to give it to him um but i i hear from so many people who listen to the podcast and get something out of it Mm -hmm. or who had a light bulb moment because they did a training plan and mm-hmm. recognized something or you know that means so much more to me than if I'm just working in a shop somewhere mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that working in a shop somewhere is a bad thing mm-hmm. this is just my my needs mm-hmm. you know for me to exist as a human I have to be creating mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. can't not do it yeah and and I worked long and hard to make make a situation where me creating means I can also make a living. Yeah. Um, and was that a struggle for another you way. to get to that point? Did you, I mean, it sounds like you started, you know, I, I, I started my business much later or started starting businesses. It sounds like you had that entrepreneurial spirit. Hampton Detective Agency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, do you, 
I mean, do you have some struggles to share or do you have some insight to share um, with with that process and the uncertainty? Yeah. You know, there was a moment uh, three years ago, I think, in Waco Tanks where we were kind of living this dream life where my daughter had just turned 18. Mm -hmm. I gave her my house in Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. felt like I was the you know, luckiest, most privileged person on the planet to be able to do that, Yeah, you know, to hand over something to her, to help her in a way that my parents never could for Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Um, But we, like, my wife and I drove away from Cincinnati with my daughter, like, standing in the driveway, waving and crying, (laughs) you know, like a total role reversal. Right. And we just went on this, you know, couple-year-long road trip living in our truck camper and um, first out of my element, then out of a truck camper. And we were in Waco tanks in our truck camper. And I remember laying on the floor of the truck camper, just going, I'm shutting it all down. I'm fucking shutting it all down. It's done. I can't do it anymore because it is a struggle. You know, you'd like, especially as you start to grow, if I had kept it a one man show, yeah. It it wouldn't have been much of a struggle. Uh-huh. You know, because mm-hmm. it was a side hustle for a lot of years, giving away free content as yeah. a blog, then as the podcast, then training plans. Mm-hmm. Um if I'd kept it a one man show, mm-hmm. relatively smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I bring people in, which I need to be able to grow, to be able to improve my quality of life. You know, I brought Lana in to help. Nate came on as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff made my life easier. But then I also felt this responsibility for them. Mm-hmm. And that made it harder, mm-hmm. you know. And I was letting the idea that we need to keep growing into my head. Mm. And as you do that, even though from the outside it looks like, oh, things are exploding, good for them, it also comes with a boatload of headache. Mm-hmm. And and that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I I used to be fast enough to run behind this thing and keep up. Mm-hmm. And now it's pulled away from me, and I can barely see it in the distance, and I feel like I'm losing it, and I'm ready to shut it the fuck down. Mm-hmm. You know? You that, took, like, it took a couple point, days for basically, me to or, get out of there. Yeah. Do you feel like that was a burnout? or? I think it was. Yeah. And maybe because I was spinning my wheels doing the same things. Yeah. I had, you know, we, we constantly hear this, like, these ideas of how you're supposed to run your business, conduct your business. You can't give anything away for free, you know. Um, hustling is bad for your health, you know. Mm-hmm. It's all about you know, creating boundaries and all about rest time. And I'm like, well, I still have to fucking hustle. What am I doing wrong here? Yeah. You yeah know? I'm not living the four hour. You heard of that four hour, four work, hour week? work week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's bullshit for a yeah. independent small climbing business. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do four hours of work <laughs> while I'm sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but then I just decided, you know what? What I've been doing has worked. I like doing creative so things. So, like, you were literally. You, you hit that point where you, you didn't know. If, were you just at a crossroads, or were you at like that point? You're like, I don't know if I can do this? Yeah. For wow. a couple days, wow. it felt like like crisis moment. Sure, yeah. Like, from the outside, everything looked great. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. But on the inside, yeah. it was like shit exploding all around me. <laughs> yeah. And I just felt, I felt super isolated in it mm-hmm. at that moment. And. And then you you branched out and started a team from that point. Is that kind of what took uh, the pressure had, off you? Or I had a little team that was yeah. for me was creating more pressure because yeah. I felt pressure to keep them busy to gotcha. help them make money. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Ultimately, what I think helped me get out of it was allowing myself to be creative again. Mm. Like I had gotten too wrapped up in what I'm supposed to do. Air quotes. Yeah, yeah. For for a business. Uh huh. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to be creative. I'm going to make some new shit. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, talk about whatever the hell I want to on the podcast. Yeah. I'm just going to be as authentic as I can be for a little while, see what happens. I'm going to flip the idea of what we're supposed to do as a business on its head and see what happens. 
so you know i i you've really been i think on my radar for that maybe time period like i've just started listening to your podcast in, in the last few years um so did you were you originally just training like material that you were you were creating yeah it started yeah. as a blog okay that was just me deciding i wanted to be the best climber i could be what's a blog Exactly. <laughs> when was that? <laughs> Is that like a mixtape? <laughs> they they were little notebooks that you passed around yeah. with your friends. <laughs> totally. Um, started as a blog where I was just giving like my training experimentation, mm-hmm. and that evolved into training advice. And and can I also uh, sorry I'm I'm uploading yeah, yeah. a question on a question, but were you like obsessed with off with, and then you transitioned into sport climbing? Is that? Yeah, I quit climbing. Okay, I was you, super obsessed with crack climbing. Yeah, yeah. And then I kind of ran out of hard cracks to do around sure. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just got bored with it. Yeah. And wanted to do other things. Yeah. And I quit climbing to focus on music for about five years. Wow. wow. I would climb once or twice a year. Yeah. I was still climbing like 512 cracks off the couch. Yeah. And then one day I went sport climbing with yeah. my friend Yasmin. Uh-huh. And tried to get up this 11A sport route uh-huh. and couldn't. I, re- I think I remember you, you. Did you tell the story in the podcast recently? Yeah, I that think really so. inspired me actually to hear like, yeah. "Oh wow, um, okay. couldn't get yeah, up yeah, it." Yeah, Yasmin had to finish it for me. Uh-huh. Then I tried to top rope it and clean it, and couldn't get to the top, and wow. she had to clean it for me. Wow! And then I was like, "Wow, I suck at this." Yeah, I want to get better at this. Yeah, you know, this this failure brought me some joy uh-huh. that I want to explore further. Yeah, so that's when I sort of transitioned into sport. Wow. Climbing. Okay. Okay. So you're doing the blog, um, but you're not, because I know now you focus on a lot of wide-ranging conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that it can a lot of it connects to community. Um, yeah, it started as a training yeah, blog. Yeah, you it, know? and do you think that's or what... A training podcast. Do you think that's what led you to the burnout, is that you weren't embracing your creative side? Because this to reminds me of a conversation I had with, uh, you know, Chris Parker, yep. uh, musician. Yep. He, he's, totally. he's, he's one of the few people I've, I've heard of this, that, like, the pull between music and climbing mm-hmm. um but do you think yeah you think you're you're you didn't have that you weren't fulfilling that creative yeah i think so or, yeah it i think when we listen to that like here's the here's the step-by-step business advice here's how you make a business and you're taking someone else's business plan and trying to apply it to yours it completely strips away all personality mm. from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe not completely, but but to some degree, the personality, the the authenticity, ends up stripped away, and all of these businesses end up looking the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and inevitably they all fail because of that, mm-hmm. or many of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was feeling like I needed to listen to that business advice because I didn't know it hmm. and it wasn't until I really embraced the idea of this is an independent hip-hop label mm-hmm. you know it's it's an independent hip-hop label masquerading as a climbing training company mm-hmm. and I need to release new material yeah I need to I need to be creative with my new material that's when I f- started feeling like okay now I got it and I can keep rolling with it and keep building it and and you're you're exactly right. The podcast started as a training podcast, mm-hmm. and there are times when I feel pressure to like talk more about training. But in my mind, it's more of a become a better climber, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily become better at climbing mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Become a better climber, a better partner, a better community member, a better yeah. you know steward at the crag. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, I want to help you improve at that. Yeah, and you're you're facilitating, um, I think, tough conversations. That that's the beauty of podcasts because, you know, um, a lot of us live in these. A lot of us white males live in these rural areas where it's just a lot of other white people. And yeah, I think there's conversations people might want to have with people. They just don't know who to reach out to, right. and by reaching out to different people in the community and um, people from different races and different backgrounds, like you're you're facilitating a conversation that people maybe have the craving to have but they don't they don't have the luxury of yeah. having people to reach out to 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 have that conversation yeah um yeah what, what are what are your thoughts on on the conversations you've had in that realm and in the growth that you've 
been looking for um that's what i'm assuming you know that's what i look for in myself i'm always trying to grow and for sure um, and we're obviously like at a big social reckoning like i think i'm super impressed with this younger generation and they seem uh, more committed to like social justice racial justice than maybe our generation was able to do absolutely Um, but i know we are part of that younger generation too but they i feel like they they are maybe it's maybe held on a higher pedestal for whatever reason than yeah. our generation would have, was we, able to do. We but are, know. to some degree, you and I both and many other people are the mentoring voices for this generation who's way smarter than us, who mm-hmm. thinks more deeply about yeah. these things that really matter yep. than we ever did. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because it goes against the stereotype, you know, like sometimes you can get old and crusty and write the younger generation oh, yeah, off. But it's like, sure. honestly, at this point, I'm like more disappointed in the the older generation than 100%. us. And, yeah. And, and obviously there's like factions of people that are activists in those generations. Yeah, but just absolutely. You, you look at just how this this generation um, is, is coming together and like doing important work and facilitating conversations. And um, yeah, I, I think often about. Uh, maybe often is the wrong word, but I do think to myself a few times a year, like, what are my biggest, greatest fears? Mm-hmm. And it used to be that I would be the kind of father my father was. Mm, gotcha. And and I've I've made sure I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter is 24. Mm-hmm. She has a daughter. Mm-hmm. So I know I did better than my dad did yeah. by a long shot. Mm-hmm. So my new fear is that I become old and crusty yeah and me too and i'm not keeping my mind open to this younger generation yeah yeah um total side note here because i have a history with Devin of like saying oh we're gonna do this thing and then we Uh have to do it yeah yeah Devin and i have been talking about doing a hip-hop podcast that's like old head new head Uh where it's like i i play an album for him yeah that was seminal for me in Uh my young years and what I learned from it, what it meant to me, what it means to me now. And then he plays me an album that I may not have listened to because I'm I am an old crusty hip hop head. You know? Yeah, I think I heard a conversation with you and him and uh, Mario and you were like Mario Stanley and you were yeah. like Bra- Action Bronson is the newest rapper I've heard of. I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like <laughs> No, I I try to keep up on it, but my daughter actually likes a lot of the same music I like, uh-huh. so I end up thinking I'm getting the young rappers from her, but I'm not actually. Yeah, yeah. So any anyway, uh, that was total side note. I'm just throwing that out there so that Mar or Devin and I have to do that podcast. All right, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so creativity, and and that's why we're kind of here in the park today. I'm excited. Last time we did a, a workshop on a Sunday at the Lander Bar, which yeah. was yeah. I don't know how that got that post. Bat, like past our radars that that wasn't a good idea but yeah we still had a good conversation mm-hmm. and and we'll have like luck we'll have like 10 people we can just you know be really like just have yeah. a great conversation with for an hour hour and a half but i was listening to an interview with kobe bryant one of kobe bryant's last interviews and he was he, he did a lot of writing actually later on with like mm-hmm. animation and children's yeah. books and his animated short is amazing i've never seen it i just watched it a few months ago what's amazing. it called ah I was going to say for the love of basketball, but I don't think that's right. It's something like that because it reminded me of Love and Basketball, the movie. Okay. Yeah. The title did. But he, God, he was so brilliant. Um, But he was talking about how creativity really comes from um, organization and purpose and like getting, getting writing every morning or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Purpose. Do you feel the purpose same? Purpose is huge for me. Purpose is huge. Yeah. Like, so you seem like you're in a, a good place where you're, you like, you've, you've made that leap of the burnout of three years ago to yeah. where you're at now. Is that a correct assumption? You feel like you're in a good place with Absolutely. your creativity? I feel, and I feel really good about what my purpose is mm-hmm. and the direction of it. And I feel like my mind is open enough to shift gears or change directions when needed, as well as and maybe most important admit when i'm wrong about something and and have that conversation and and i prefer to have those conversations out in the open yeah yeah where everybody else can learn from my mistake mm-hmm. in a really visceral way you yeah, know it's not yeah. just me saying i made a mistake sorry mm-hmm. we're moving on yeah, yeah it's more like hey where did i fuck up like yeah, yeah. really tell me what was wrong yeah. how can i 
what do I need to do to make it better? Even if that's me having this conversation with myself. Yeah, right. I I like to do that in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like there have been some conversations I've had on my podcast that really directed me without me realizing it at the time. Yeah. And I'm able to look back now and say, oh, these were important moments Mm -hmm. in the podcast, Mm -hmm. which were like talking with Shelma Jun, talking with Brown Girls Climb, which I did Mm -hmm. sitting here in the park. Uh um, That was a great episode. At a climbers festival. We just sat in a circle and talked. And I've learned so much from those women Mm -hmm. over the years Mm -hmm. that now I feel like they're my mentors. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm older than all of them, but they're way smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. think about this stuff in a way that I don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to learn, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So those things are important to me. And I've gotten this pushback from some climbers, which which I am 100% for. Bring the pushback. Mm-hmm. I, I, I relish it. For having those conversations or, yeah. like, straying from training? and Yeah, yeah lots yeah, of people yeah. who are like, oh, you're just becoming a social justice warrior now. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm a human. That, yeah. that should be... You should be a social justice warrior if you're a human, period. Yeah. yeah. So if if that's how you see me, great. Yeah. yeah. I hope you do. Yeah. You know, um, there's pushback I will listen to and say, okay, you're right. And then there's pushback like that that I'll be like, well, I hope you do okay living in the human race without caring about these things. Yeah. Or maybe you'll win them over in the long term, too. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to hide the... I've made this reference several times this weekend. I like hiding the medicine in the food. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think it's really effective. So yeah. I'm not going to constantly post on Instagram about social justice issues. I, I will if I've mm-hmm. read into it, believe in it, understand what I'm posting. But I'm going to keep talking about training and climbing too. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to slip these things in and, and maybe change some people's minds. Maybe piss yeah. some people off. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Well, that's really interesting, like, take on creativity, you know? Like, because I really, yeah. I look at creativity in the sense of, of writing, you know? Because yeah. that's, that's kind of my, like, 99% of my outlet of creativity mm-hmm. is, is within the space of writing and, and creating the zine. And you're, like, um, looking at it from just being open-minded and creative with being in the world and having conversations you've had and then, like, Having, you know, like you said, ha- admit putting your failures out there on record and then going back and, and like, refining who you are as a human. Like, that's yeah. such an interesting take on I'm on constantly creativity. re-examining my assumptions. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really what it comes down to. And I'm an, I'm an ADD creative. Me too. Like, yeah. I have way too many things I want to do. Yeah. Did they put you on Ritalin when you were a child? <laughs> no, they no. didn't. That, I don't even know if Ritalin was a thing in my neighborhood like doctors <laughs> yeah. weren't even a thing in gotcha. my neighborhood gotcha. so. yeah yeah um but i i have been able to really tap into my creativity as of late by taking an idea i want to impart to everyone mm-hmm. and then finding a bunch of different ways to say it mm-hmm. um because i'm such a scattered creative i'm mm-hmm. like oh i want to draw a thing mm-hmm. that people can recognize this idea in i want to write a thing i want to have a conversation about it i want to make a video about it you know i want to make a song about it um so i've been able to tap into my creativity that way Mm -hmm. which which has felt really good and really fills me up Mm -hmm. you know i've talked to Devin about this a little Mm -hmm. bit where i i'll do my creative work and then if i go out to my gym to climb a lot of us think of climbing as this creative thing but I can't be creative if I've spent all my creative energy at work. Yeah, yeah. You know? And yeah. then if I'm at work doing busy work, yeah. just business stuff, I can go out in the gym and be creative. Yeah. I have all this creative energy left over. Uh-huh. Um, so I can bring climbing into that as well. Yeah, and yeah. Either go out and do my circuits mm-hmm. when I can't be creative mm-hmm. or go out into the gym and make up problems mm-hmm. being creative. Yeah. Um, I've gotten better at spreading it around. Uh-huh. That's worked really well for me. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. Raindrops coming down. Sure are. We need them. Top five hip hop MCs. Oh to, man, to wrap this up on Dead or Alive. Oh, of course. Devin and I were just having this conversation a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
Do you want them in order or not in order? Bro. <laughs> in order, of course. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. Uh, Q-tip, number one. Wow, I love that. Uh, three stacks, number two. Oh, that's historically my number one. He's very close. That's why I asked in order. I have a hard time. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. With one and Do you, two. All right. Do you think Tribe has... I've been noticing this lately. I feel like Tribe, to me, has more like longer staying power than Outcast, longevity-wise. Maybe I just listen to Outcast too much <laughs> in a certain time period, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I can listen to Tribe more. Yeah. Because the stuff I really love from Outcast is a little more boombastic. Yeah. Like I need to be higher energy when I'm listening <laughs> Bombs to over it. Baghdad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Okay. I got you. Yeah. But tribe, I can yeah. like put on the record at home while I'm cleaning the house. Like you're putting on an actual record. Oh yeah. I love that. All right. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we play vinyl at my house yeah, quite I, I a do bit. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and I put on um the low end theory regularly yeah yeah um, i think it's sitting on my record player i love right that now, actually. i love that i um, love that so for me it does have more staying power yeah yeah but i get so excited when i hear an andre 3000 verse yeah as the rest of the world does yeah um so you might be right maybe because yeah. i'm older yeah maybe that's what it is yeah. um so, so q-tip andre 3000 uh my definition of MC, Black Thought has to be in there. He hasn't made the best songs, mm -hmm. like in, in terms of like popularity or sales. But as an MC, I can't not have Black Thought in there. And his freestyle that he did a couple years ago was oh, just proved like... Ridiculous. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like nine minutes or something. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, look that up, hip-hop fans. If you're, if you're still listening and you're... Uh, you're yeah. a Black Thought uh, hip hop fan, yeah. Um, God, this is hard. I really want to put Eminem on there because of how he impacted me when I was younger. He was a Scribble Jam alumni. Really? You know? Yeah. No shit. So you um, saw him a lot when, wow. he, when he was younger. That's and, incredible. And I would spend time in Detroit because it was wow. not far from Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, spend time at the hip hop shop and. So that whole Detroit crew and Cincinnati crew wow. were a little like sisters. Yeah. You know. Um so you you saw Eight Mile in real life. <laughs> well, I mean tiny, tiny, tiny bits of it. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I mean, was he um, was he there was there a time where he wasn't was he where he was just okay? Or was he always like commanded? He, when I first well, he had a, a really great um underground release back then. Mm-hmm that was very much underground rap. Mm -hmm. um, and to his credit, he really drastically changed his style to fit the platform he got, which I think is amazing. Yeah. And and overlooked in terms of the importance of, uh, of a musician. Um, but as a battle rapper, which is how I first saw him yeah. battling at Scribble Jam. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Punchlines were amazing. He had this, like, very much like he does in 8 Mile, actually, mm -hmm. this, like, underdog look mm -hmm. and quality and almost, like, staring at his feet, you know, yeah. scared. Yeah. But then he would just unleash, yeah. which was very cool to watch. Yeah. Um, I think he got beat by Juice. Juice. His, his first Chicago, year at Scribble Jam. Chicago yeah. MC. Yeah. 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 Um, and Juice is amazing as well. Yeah. I'm trying to get off track here so I don't have to no, answer my last two. I mean, dude, <laughs> that's that's amazing that you got to see that. I feel I feel really lucky to yeah. have been in the right place at the right time watching um atmosphere come up, uh -huh. you know, watching yeah. Aesop Rock come up, yeah. watching Def Jux and Rhymesayers become Def Jux and Rhymesayers. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, getting to have conversations with idea after he performed mm -hmm. and, and he was on this like idea and ability idea and ability yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like i'm doing this different thing and i'm not sure people are getting it yeah and i remember sitting down with him and he's almost teary like i don't i don't understand if people are understanding yeah and i'm like honestly i don't know <laughs> if it matters like yeah. 
people saw your passion up there. Yeah. That's what struck me. Yeah. I'm going to buy the record and I'm going to listen to your lyrics because I love your lyrics. But your performance was one of the best performances I've ever seen, uh-huh. you know. Well, and you're that's a good wrap up for all this too is that and I've had this as well. You know, it's like low points or you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like this isn't going to work anymore. I think that's right. a, a a good point that maybe younger creatives <laughs> yeah to hammer in that just like we all hit these low points and then you just deal with them and then yeah. you kind of come back, but and if you're doing something new, you can't expect everybody to catch on immediately it's no, new and, and they're probably not like that going back to kobe bryant too he had to self-publish his children's books right because he was making them right. in a different way that wasn't just princesses in kobe bryant who has all the connections in the world had to start his own right children's book publishing thing because exactly. people didn't get it and then he goes Jay-Z on to win couldn't uh, get signed jay-z couldn't get signed kanye west couldn't get signed yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. well, that's an interesting story, too. Jay-Z couldn't get signed, and then Jay-Z wouldn't sign Kanye West. Right, until he, like, <laughs> you know, until he stood on his himself. table and yeah. <laughs> rapped to him or whatever, whatever so, the story is. Yeah. So I think any time you're, you're going in a different direction, um, it's always going to be drawing inspiration from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the idea of doing new things and, yeah. and being being a little confusing to people like they're like why do i like this yeah yeah. why do i need this Uh, this isn't something i've thought about before i enjoy that and i think most really creative people enjoy that and and it's it could feel hard and scary and like it's not working at first because we've been taught this like overnight success model right but that's not reality no you know and you have to keep working at it you have to stay authentic to your vision you have to let your vision change Mm -hmm. if that's where you feel like you need to go Mm -hmm. um and then you know if you're making a dope thing it will it will work eventually people will catch on as you believe in it more and more and more for longer and longer and you get towards your ten thousand hours yeah that's what i love about what you do like it's a you were building a thing at a time when print magazines were faltering. Um, but doing it in a really authentic way to your vision, mm-hmm. to the voice that you saw needed in the climbing community. Mm-hmm. And you were just like, this This is a print magazine. This is by climbers, for climbers. This isn't, this isn't a watered-down version of climbing media mm-hmm. you know i'm gonna mm-hmm. say the things i need to say and that's that's why i love that you published devin's article mm-hmm. you know i talked to devin when he was when he was talking to the other publications and yeah. was having some issues and i was yeah. like pull it man don't yeah. don't put it out there if they want all these changes mm-hmm. you know give it to luke 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 will print it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he had worked with you in the past and it just yeah. made sense. Yeah. And, yeah. And I love that you're the authentic voice in, in the climbing world. We're trying and trying to give people their voice or just publish. That's a yeah, editing exactly. style that I use that a lot exactly. of other writer publishers don't is that I, I, I edit to embrace their style, which versus um, making it one style. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been very effective. And then this, whatever modern audience is consuming this. Cause I know my, my audience is like 16 to 80 or whatever. It's like, right. They're craving that. And that, that goes yeah. back to you. And there's a reason Devin's come up so much is because he's doing something creative within the climbing space that someone like me or you, that's like kind of philosophical type people are like, Oh, I didn't even think about this. And I've been thinking about this my whole life. Yeah. You know? And he's, and so, he's young. Yeah. He's authentic. He's, he, falters sometimes in his belief in himself but has the foresight the ability the skill to be able to reach out to people Mm -hmm. as mentors Mm -hmm. to help him through those situations Mm -hmm. which is something i am terrible at Mm. and want to get better at so i love being one of those voices for Devin because it helps me see how he moves in that space yeah. So that I get better at it. it that's really know? interesting that we need that too. It's totally, like we are totally. the mentors to a lot of generation. We want to, we want to take that on whether it's in, in the, in the various forms, but yeah, we need, we need to be vulnerable and, and, yeah. and look out for other ways we can do our stuff yeah. better and, and have our own. And, and there are, there are older 
people in our community that can mentor us, but sometimes it's even younger people that can bounce an idea where you can bounce an idea or, yeah. or just being there for each other, being of the same, you know, mm -hmm. ilk. Um, all right, dude, you got one, one left. <laughs> oh, dude, is it just, I think I have two left. No, actually. You, you said black but thought yeah. Q tip, uh, Andre, Andre, black and thought. Oh, I want to put Eminem in there. Yeah. I have to put Jay in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think his longevity can't be overlooked. Um, I just played, you know, an early, early Jay-Z Jazzo song for uh -huh. my wife. Uh -huh. And she's like, this is really fast. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this is how people used to rap. Yeah. And, and Jay-Z so in funny. his first appearance was the best at it, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. And he's been able to. But it's certainly not. You don't look at it like that's good. You know, you no, don't see the Jay-Z you see now. Like, not now. Yeah, if any, any yeah. hip-hop fans, Google the early Jay-Z stuff. And he kind of almost sounds gimmicky. Yeah. yeah. Like Hawaiian Sophie, I right. think, was yeah, yeah. the first big song he yeah. was on. Um, Quali re references that. Yeah. Did you read Quali's book? I, I have not read his book. I actually have been meaning to get it. I'm glad you I should have brought said it that. up. Uh, um, yeah, I maybe I'll mail it to you. Quali is somebody yeah. I got to watch become a star. No kidding. Um, High Tech, who produced yeah, from Cincinnati, Black right? Star, is yeah. from Cincinnati. Yeah, so yeah. I've known High Tech forever. Yeah. And I got to watch Black Star oh, early man. on, oh. some of their first shows. Dang. Um, so watching watching that stuff happen really helps me believe in a vision yeah like doing a thing yeah um but i have to put jay on for the reason that he's been so good at changing his style shifting his views um you know i i know 444 is not necessarily mentioned in his like best albums by a lot of people but I think the vulnerability of yep. like Beyonce putting lemonade out, yep. which basically is like, if if Jay responded poorly to lemonade, <laughs> yeah. it could have been the end of Jay's career. Of course, you know? yeah, yeah. But Jay instead instead said, "Yeah, yeah I, I fucked up." Yeah, you know, and he did. Yeah. So being able to admit that to to make this creation to put this out there into the world in the way that he has also been the the gangster been the 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 hustler yeah um been the the mogul been the boss yeah put it out there in that same format and be vulnerable brilliant and beautiful and speaks to the growth of of this man and i can't i can't overlook that because it's yeah. what i hope to be able to do yeah yeah. And that's that's full circle with the whole conversation too of what what climbers are what what we are as far as what our story is is I think we're at just creating the start of climbing culture now. Yeah. You know, the Stone Masters seventies dirtbag image is what is the archetype and, and then the gangster is the archetype <laughs> of the hip hop world. But I think Jay Z would be could be the perfect example of like where climbing could go if a guy who's just like you know like big pimp and jay-z right versus you know 444 like i'm in therapy i'm growing as a human being right. i'm like the most i'm a billionaire yet i have all these cracks mm -hmm. in my armor but that's who i am and i think that's who we all need to be you know even if you are the strongest climber you probably have these vulnerabilities and, and some of the strongest climbers get that way because they have yeah, or the most successful people get to that place because of their totally. the cracks in their armor or whatever. Totally. So, um, shout out to Jay Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. wish Devin was here because he can do a Jay Z voice. Yeah, we'll do another episode. Uh, Hove. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do another episode with Devin. So put that on yeah. the, the things to do with Devin. But dude, thank you so much. This is awesome, and we're gonna go do a workshop here in a little bit. And yeah, Chris and I are here for you. We uh, we survived some trials and tribulations, and uh, we want to do everything everything we can for the climate community. So yeah, and you know, don't hold me to that top five. I may <laughs> yeah. I may change my okay. mind tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right thanks, on, brother. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate it, man. That was episode thirteen with Chris Hampton of Power Company Climbing. Be sure to check out Chris's book, The Hard Truth. And uh, he did that 
book with Brendan Leonard, who's another um, early climbing zine contributor. And I think Brendan's another hip hop nerd as well. Um, so maybe the four of us will, will get together and, and nerd out on hip hop together. Be sure to check out Chris's book. And Chris, the last thing I'd like to say about him is he's just the most generous guy. Um, when we did this interview at the Climbers Festival up in Lander, he was literally volunteering like 16 hours a day. It was insane as an MC, doing workshops and different things. So um, yeah, throw that guy some dough, support his work. And thank you so much, Chris, for that interview. Music for this episode and the entire season two is from Devin Dabney. And our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich. Signing off from beautiful Durango, Colorado, where we're finally getting some rain. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. Peace.